thank you, Lisa, for agreeing to, to talk to us about sleep. Uh, you have an incredible website with a wealth of information that, that parents can go to, parents, students, and schools. But I'd love to get a little bit of a background. What, what brought you to this field? And um, yeah, what made you so passionate? I think it comes from both a professional and a personal perspective. So after I had the girls, I worked in corporate health. Um, but before that, adult sleep apnea. And it was when I was working in adult sleep apnea that I realised the impact of sleep on some of the key issue, health issues in Australia, so depression, obesity, um, heart disease, um, diabetes. Did I say that? Heart disease. <laughs> um, and, but it was then that I started to talk to a friend who worked at an independent boys' school and she goes, you really need to start doing something about sleep in schools. And I just remember getting goosebumps going, really? And I was working in corporate health at the time. I'd moved from sleep apnea to corporate health. And, you know, I realised the lack of sleep in adults, but then our teens, 70% of them are sleep deprived. So they're the most sleep deprived across any demographic. So I could have worked in the corporate sector educating this, but I decided to work in schools. So that was more from... A, and then I rang up the key sleep specialist in Sydney for children, Dr. Chris Seaton, and I said, is anyone doing anything in schools? And he said, no, but we'd love them to. So it all sounds very simple, but that's all where it started. And then from a personal perspective, probably about five years ago, I had absolutely chronic insomnia. At the stage that I was going completely mad. So I was also aware from a personal perspective of the huge impact. Like that was an extreme sense of insomnia. Uh, lots of people have insomnia, but that was really chronic. So that was when I went, right, let's do something. Amazing foundation. So both from a professional and a practical basis. Mm. And as you say, there's such an impact on mental health that, that it's really important that we understand it because uh, the trajectories are. So what? give me those trajectories for schools, those percentages for children who experience sleep problems or sleep deprivation. So I work closely with the Woolcock Medical Institute, which is the key institute probably in Australia for sleep. And they talk about probably in primary school age as being 30 to 40% of children not getting the sleep they need. And then teenagers around 70%. And then when I go into schools, that does reflect the answers I'm getting from the teenagers. And probably more concerningly is the younger students, it's becoming higher and higher. So I'm working with year six students and I'm just listening to them going, oh my gosh. <laughs> is there a difference between how it manifests for a year six student and how it manifests for a high school or is it all the same? Uh, probably the biggest difference is in really younger children. So with both um, primary school and teenagers you'll see the impact on their learning so some of these younger students for example saying I keep rereading things I, I'm not taking on board what I'm saying and that will be the same from the learning and memory point of view um, habits will be that wanting to sleep in all those sort of things I'll cover those off later so it's and also behavioral I think in the young as we get older our reactions when we're tired is more to retreat and be quieter and less um, less energetic whereas a younger child it can come in the opposite so they can actually be misdiagnosed with ADHD so they tend to be hyperactive and I think that was one of my one of the things that actually instigated me doing this as well as I watched a video called Finding Connor Deegan and it was a 
a video of a boy who'd had a diagnosis of ADHD and oppositional defiance disorder to the stage where he'd actually say to his parents, I just want to die. And I remember reading this video just crying. And it was actually that he had um, his tonsils in his way, so he had sleep apnea. So it was the fact that he was the most sleep deprived you could possibly be. And therefore, those were his symptoms of hyperactivity, oppositional defiance disorder. And once he had his tonsils removed and that side of things sorted, then those symptoms weren't there. And he then went on to improve his um, academic performance. And he became, as his mother said, I knew Connor was there all the time. We just had to find him underneath that, all that tiredness. So yes, in answer to your question, you see the hyperactivity more in the younger children, but then the lack of concentration, the mood and, ish, and other issues on older children and ourselves uh, as well. Yeah, I can't help um, sort of drawing a parallel between uh, the sleep deprivation that, that teenagers kind of have and take as normal and the accident yep. rate for teenagers and the death rate through accident. I mean, you know, maybe it affects their decision-making processes. And totally. It's, yeah. uh, that's one of the areas that we talk about, the impact on decision-making on that prefrontal cortex, which is already under development anyway, then that actually reduces in its efficacy, which means they're not making the logical decisions they would normally make, which is at such a challenging time as it is. So when you talk about accidents, then I just go, ah, oh, don't get these teenagers on the road when Sophia's going to non-stop parties at the moment. I'm just going, could you be home by this time? It's not for any other reason, but the more tired you are, that's one of the top three reasons for having car accidents. But also Chris Seaton, who I works with, has seen some horrific things that teenagers have done purely through being really sleep deprived and making poor decisions. Um, and... I would have thought, and this is where maybe we could tease it out a bit further, that technology plays a large part in that from uh, the, the hooking nature that technology has. It's really hard to put it down, the fear of missing out, and yep. the, the, the actual the brain stimulation that comes from technology late at night. Could you um, tease that out a little bit for us? Absolutely. So when I uh, talk in schools, I run a workshop and I ask the students lots of things, but one of them is what they think their top reasons are for not getting the sleep that they need. And pretty much always technology is the number one. And the reason that technology is such a big issue is probably four reasons. The main one, initial one is the blue light impact, which you're probably aware of and most people are, but I'm still surprised of people that aren't, so I'll describe that. So we have a sleepy hormone called melatonin our melatonin gets switched on about an hour before we want to go to sleep and it builds up in the brain to the stage that we can't fight it anymore and we just have to fall asleep. What the blue light does from the technology is it actually says to the brain, oh, it's daytime. So the blue light goes straight through into our eyes, into the part of the brain called the body clock, says to the brain it's daytime. It reduces the amount of that lovely, relaxing, sleepy hormone in your brain, which then makes it hard to fall asleep. So it can also, I've also heard that it can affect your quality of sleep because it's reducing the amount of melatonin overnight. So and the second reason is time, obviously time distraction. And so students just tell me they just lose track of time and that's partly just a poor self-control. Also brain alerting. So anything that you're watching obviously alerts the brain and um, probably gaming and but even just waiting for text to come through, that poor brain, I say to them, your poor brain never has any downtime, there's always something going into it. And probably lastly would be just tech, 
like notifications coming through. So one of the key tips is not to have your phone in the room, but majority do. And even when I had a girl staying here a little while ago, same age as Sophia, she was going through some challenges and she woke up just crying. She was so tired. I said, why did you get woke, woken up? Oh, my friend rang me at 12. I said, but why was your phone on? She goes, because I needed my alarm. So she didn't actually realise you could set your alarm with the phone on aeroplane mode. So something as simple as that you think everyone knows, but they don't. So they're getting woken up by notifications all night. So they're not getting into their deep sleep and not going through their sleep cycles. So I made her put her phone on airplane mode, set the, phone, the alarm for one minute later and confirm that it does go off. <laughs> and so just those little things. So those are probably the four things, the blue light, the time, the brain alerting and just the notifications waking you up during the night. Is there any part that how you kind of run your day that might influence your sleep? Definitely. I can't remember I was talking to you the other day or someone else, but I was just saying that often people think of sleep as being a nighttime affliction. So I guess there are two parts to lack of sleep. So we talk about can't sleep and won't sleep. And can't sleep is inability to fall asleep. You're waking up in the night or you wake up too early. And that's often from stress or a physical condition, pain. And then won't sleep is us choosing not to sleep, whether that's too busy a lifestyle, just not prioritising sleep. So I guess in that answering your question, it's important to look at whether it's you're not able to sleep or um, you're choosing not to sleep. Okay, so won't sleep. I think the biggest thing is time management. So we just keep wanting to go, go, go all day, whether we're a parent or student, whoever we are, and so we're not prioritising our sleep. So I guess that's the main thing. And then in relation to the can't sleep, it's realising the impact of stress during the day that then impacts us at night. So we often think if we've done the wind down, we've done all this at night, then we'll be fine. But often it's that um, cortisol creeping through in the middle of the night because we've been on high alert or during the day that affects our sleep in the middle of the night. I remember when I was looking at this, I considered how fast I was racing to my red light full stop which mm. was the moment I went to sleep and if I expected myself to kind of drive at 70 kilometers an hour and then be able to stop straight away and just that it was impractical so there yeah. had to be a, an awareness of how I was slowing down to get to that you know amber light and then red light yeah and I think because you know we're in that flight or fright way too much during the day these days that we're actually having to do something about that. So a lot of things that we used to do naturally, we're now having to bring in consciously, like you know, our mindfulness, we're actually having to bring that into schools to counteract what we're talking about now. So things that used to be natural and we didn't have to make any effort, they now have become a to-do of having to do mindfulness to wind us down and all that sort of thing. But I think there's still a bit of catching up to do. When we think about um, changing patterns of behaviour, it's quite difficult because you have entrenched ways in your brain of doing yep. things. How long have you found that it takes to kind of consciously choose a different pattern of behaviour and then for it actually to start becoming quite normal? I think it's, for some people, it's immediate. So I've spoken in some schools and I've gone back two weeks later and students have said to me, I've got my phone out of my room. So they did that straight away. So I think the key thing is for people finding out what would motivate them to improve their sleep. So if it's just coming in with a, 
you know, another statistic or you need to have this amount of sleep, just like you need to do three hours of study. It's like, no, actually explaining why. And most of the students will have a motivation of improving their concentration or their energy or particularly their mood is a key one or they want to improve their relationships at school or sports performance. So you focus on making sure there's a motivation there. And then it could be, it can be really quick. So in terms of just not having your phone there anymore, in terms of exercise or relaxing or whatever it might be that needs changing, then it can be quite quick. For other people, obviously, those entrenched habits of that racing mind and actually realising the correlation, then that can take a bit longer. So if, if there's a part that says, okay, I really know I need to do something about this, I'm really ready, I'm going to go yep. for it, where would you suggest someone first starts? Okay, um, just going back to the motivation. So go back to the motivation and then just simply prioritising, even just prioritising sleep because you're aware, aware of it makes a huge difference. So a lot of people don't know how many hours to aim for. They don't know how many hours to get their children to aim for. So uh, for me, I look at it as being a 24-hour um, timetable. Sorry, it's hard not to go off on tangents. <laughs> so probably one of the key things is like we have a time that we have to be at school by or work by. It's exactly the same with sleep. But instead, we put sleep at the end of a busy lifestyle. And so the first thing that goes is sleep because you're trying to do everything else. But if you just say that's non-negotiable, just like being at school is non-negotiable or being at sports non-negotiable, actually have a bedtime to aim for would be my biggest tip. So prioritising and having a bedtime to aim for. And I've, you know, spoken to staff at a school and even a principal came back to me two weeks later and said in front of her staff, since Lisa's been here, I've actually got an extra hour sleep. Now, that's a principal of a school. So she's just prioritised it. So, you know, we often say we're too busy, but it's actually prioritising and weeding everything else out. It's true, isn't it? Because it's saying, you know, you, you can say that you have no money to spend on anything but mm. how much are you choosing that coffee over that meal or something you know what yeah. what you you choose where you spend your money and where you spend your time yeah so the top three would be prioritizing what your motivation is and your time management and would you say it's important to stay quite rigidly to that initially to the same sleep routine you mean yes yeah to the yeah. same sleep routine yeah, so that's probably the biggest key is a consistent routine from week to weekends even. So your body ends up with almost in a state of social jet lag when you're having those big sleep-ins. So a lot of teens, for example, and I'm noticing this during the holidays when I talk to some of them, they're sleeping until 11 o'clock in the morning. So I will probably put a post out on the Facebook to parents just to encourage that shift a week before because they're literally going to go to school and be getting up anything from two to five hours earlier. So already they're starting on a, off on a back foot walking and going, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I can't concentrate. This is just painful because I'm getting five hours less or I'm getting up five hours earlier. That's an exaggeration, but some of them are going sleeping until 11. So, yes. Amazing. Um, when you first started, did you find um, that hard or easy to do? I think because for me, it was not about routine. It was about the fact that I was having challenges falling asleep and I was waking up a lot during the night. So it was, for me, it was about changing more the day-to-day -day mindset rather than routine. Um, so routine, like anything, has just got to be a habit of, and it's a process 
and it helps if other people are doing it alongside, which is why working in schools is a good thing so that they can start talking in their tutor groups about the same sort of thing. And, yeah, having, that and as a, having that as a goal as part of their, all their other goals, then, then they're talking about the same thing. And rather than it being that badge of honour of, oh, I didn't get any sleep last night, it's actually flipping that around and going, it's smart to sleep. Hey, did you manage, how did you manage that kind of thing? Yeah, lovely. Um, what about uh, how has your parenting changed? I mean, we talk about it's great to do when everybody else does. It's it's great to do when it's in your family home and all te- all televisions off and all lights are off by maybe ten o'clock. Yeah. So, are you saying is that what I do? Or... I can imagine that that would make yes. it so much simpler. <laughs> yes, and I guess I started when the girls were in primary school, so that was easy then but because and that's what I would say to parents it's just habit and the sooner you do it the easier it is because it's not really even questioned here which I know a lot of people won't like me because the girls actually put their phones out without me asking <laughs> on the bench so it's just purely habit and they see the results and particularly Sophia she says oh my gosh I am so over people saying how tired they are at school so for her she sees the outcome herself and the difference between her beautiful high energy and you know happiness versus the opposite when you're really tired so I guess probably the challenge for me has been during this, the holidays because they would naturally have a later body clock than me but because I'm wanting to get up and get my work done I'm not too excited about giving up on that <laughs> and going to bed later and waiting up for Steve to come home from all the things she's doing so I guess in terms of my parenting it's just reinforced the importance of it and thankfully they have taken that on board and they are really good with it i know in our home i will often go to bed before any of them do i don't actually stay up until they go to bed there's a sense of responsibility and accountability that i've kind of taught mine to have yeah they're responsible for their sleep routine but i'm equally not going to change my sleep routine unless it's you know unless it's needed and really needed yeah, but you need to be, you're in a different case where you have sewn that into them, but there's just so many people that just go, I actually don't know what my kids are doing after lights out. And I was actually going to do an interview for a newspaper on the North Shore and the lady said, well, of course you, you know, do this, that and the other. And she goes, hang on, what am I talking about? I physically fought with my daughter to take the phone from her, like she was 16, 17, 18. And then she said, and then I suddenly realised that my cortisol was going up. I couldn't sleep. So I just went, I'm going to bed and whatever you do, you can do kind of thing. So there's that balance. We both know that our children are keen to follow that, but that's not always the case. Absolutely. And um, I have way too many examples of uh, teenagers who get smart and they hand one phone in and they've got another phone that, that they've got the dummy phone and they've got their actual phone. So yep. if they learn how to play the game, which is where for me it's about actually educating them to see this is the outcome for them that they want so your daughter knows that it's her outcome that's why she is happy to go with it because you have skilled her to see the benefit in her life not just to please you yeah so it's key that's seen as education not a rule education that will benefit them and they've got to come up with the motivation and that's probably the key part of my workshop is what would motivate you to get more sleep and they always have an answer amazing final top tips final top tips i think probably a repeat of what we were saying i think educating yourself and your family on the impacts of sleep uh coming up with your own motivations what would improve your sleep 
and there's normally about you know a top five for students or our children I should say I talk about students a lot because I'm talking in schools whereas yours is probably more parenting um, so the same thing and just constantly working in the prioritizing so even though I know what I know it's a constant work of prioritizing and um, fitting it into that 24-hour schedule not just a nighttime schedule having a break of the technology one to two hours and I guess the key thing is no devices. It's just non-negotiable, no devices in the room overnight. Because no matter, it's like the whole world of information is sitting at your head, even if that device is switched off. There's still an association there. What are your top tips for changing a sleep routine? All right, so I guess we've covered a lot of them in, in the different questions and conversation. But just to wrap up, I would say the top 10 tips I talk about are just the focusing on what would motivate you and your children to improve your sleep, actually prioritising sleep and having a specific bedtime to aim for, keeping a consistent sleep routine, including weekends. So obviously when I talk to students, I say, you know, you need to have a life, go out, but as much as possible, keep your sleeps uh, similar so that you don't get that social jet lag on a Monday morning. Having that one to two hour break between using your devices and going to sleep, the key one, keeping your bedroom an electronics-free zone. Just keeping your bedroom dark and quiet and the right temperature for sleeping, because uh, temperature has a great impact on sleep. Exposing yourself to bright light in the morning and dim light at night. So when I ask a lot of students how alert they are first thing in the morning, they're not, and they're keeping their bedroom dark, staying there as long as possible. I say get light as soon as you can. That light goes in through your eyes, into your brain, switches off the melatonin, which gets that sleepy hormone out and you're much more ready to go. Implementing a wind down uh, stress reduction techniques just before bed, particularly for those who find it difficult to fall asleep. And choosing healthy food and drink and as parents, limiting caffeine and alcohol. Actually, that's students as well, because way too many of them having caffeine at a really young age. I've been looking into my own caffeine and alcohol, which I don't have very much of at all, but just learning even more, I go, okay, let's reduce that even more. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's a lot, a lot to go on there and, and great first steps. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. Lovely to speak to you.